Blog Talk Radio. Happy Easter, my friends. Good morning. I'm your host and friend, Reverend Sean McCain, and I'd like to welcome listeners to Sacred Sunday. Sacred Sunday was created just to focus on the tenet that Sunday is a special day to set aside some time for spiritual focus, meditation, and prayer. All faiths are welcome. I'm a Christian in recovery, and all Bible readings will be out of my Rari Study Bible, but of course you can use any Bible you wish. 
Um, I've had many spiritual experiences and gifts from God, and I just want to uh, do Bible readings every Sunday morning. We're working our way through the entire New Testament as a, a way of thanks, and especially in the special morning of Easter when Christ has risen and what Christianity is all about. And I'm just focused on being my real self and carrying the message given to me. For opening prayer, let's say they are Father. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And we pray for Christians being persecuted worldwide. We're hearing something every day of more Christians being killed in the Middle East and elsewhere. And their freedom to worship and lives are in jeopardy. And we pray for all those who are suffering from violence here and abroad and all the horrible things that just happened in Belgium. And we pray for all those souls and those um, hurt by what happened. And we pray for the sick in mind and body and for the lonely and uncomforted. And we ask God to please forgive us our sins. We pray also for suffering from domestic violence in our homes and freedom from addiction of all kinds. And please, God, send your Archangel Michael to fight against evil and protect lives that have been taken for disorder and evil reasons. And we believe they have become martyrs and that they will turn into angels for us and watch over all of us. Our prayers go out to all those who suffer in the world, including the animals that can't speak for themselves. We also pray for the wisdom of our president and the rest of the policymakers. They have made decisions to make, and we are praying for all countries of problems of suffering worldwide. We thank you, God, for everything you have given us. And we thank you, God, for watching over us and bringing us happiness where there are tears. And as we focus on you and the heavenly ascendant of Jesus and his, his actual second birth of, in heaven in this wonderful Easter, and we ask everybody and to and keep your families and everybody else in our care and love. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The only music I want to remind you was by Save Vocal Group from the CD Navy of Angels uh, by Save. If you want to order a copy, contact savae.org. And they, they're also on Facebook and they do live shows. You can also get the CD on Amazon or listen to for free on YouTube. And it's uh, Native Angels by Save. And if you don't have your Bible with you this morning, you can get go online for the online source, which is www.biblia.com. And we want to wish everybody a very, very happy Easter this morning. We have lots of Easter babies, and we wish them a happy and prosperous years ahead. Happy birthday if it's your birthday, which includes Alfred McCann, Debbie Starborn, Sheen Brody, Fred Fisher, Gary Beckham, Chris Bestia, and Audrey Hewins. Those are my twin friends from the Starborn people. And uh, if you have a special re- prayer request or anything else, let me know. And the call number is 619-924-9744 this morning. So we are reading uh, First Thessalonians 4. And I get, uh, I get the information from some Harvard students. And uh, they are... They go. They've gone through the Bible and did summaries, and I really appreciate their goofy summaries. But they do tell us exactly what's going on. So uh, 
I will read their summary in just a moment. And uh, I just want to wish you everybody a happy Easter as you're, if you're alone or with your families or, or anything else, I still wish you all the best in the world and that your day is special. And you remember that today is a sacred day for Christians and, I'm also a Greek Orthodox Christian, so I'll celebrate that too. Here's the summary. It says, uh, let's get on, or not. Now on to another topic, and now we're getting the sex talk. Don't get it too excited. Paul wants the Thessalonians to know that they should be living in the kind of lives that would make God one proud papa. This isn't sounding too sexy, so what does it mean? Lay off the sex outside of marriage. Paul says that Christians need to act differently than the Gentiles in their midst. They need to keep it in their pants and not walk around like these lustful horn dogs all the time. This is what they wrote. Uh, the Gentile sex maniacs are what? But, but anyway, well, because of the Holy Spirit's in you, you better think twice for what you do with your body. And that does go for all of us. God will be, not be pleased if he sees any hanky-panky going on. And remember, he sees everything. Love is important when it comes to non-Christians, too. Show them respect. Basically, Keep a low profile so Gentiles, when it comes to non-Christians, too. And don't start trying to find reasons to persecute you because that's what was happening back in the day. Paul wants all Thessalonians to know that God is going to bring this whole living on earth thing to an end someday. And, God, and boy, is it going to be epic. Jesus died, then he came back to life. But he's going to make sure everyone who followed him and died already is going to come back, too, and have eternal life. Anyone who's still alive and has put their faith in him will get a pretty sweet reward, too. One day soon, Paul says, you'll see Jesus descend from heaven with all kinds of trumpet blasts, shouts, and archangels following him. See? Epic. The dead will be raised up from heaven, and the living will float up in, into the clouds with Jesus, and then all faithful will live with God forever. Thanks. Okay, that's uh, Smoops, www.shmop.com. And so let's all go to the our Bible and read the direct source of what I just read you, that funny summary. Okay, First Thessalonians chapter 4. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in Lord Jesus that you as received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. For you know that commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, and that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in the sanctification and honor, not in a lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in a matter because the Lord is the avenger of all things. As we also told you before and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but for in sanctification. So he rejects this, not rejecting man, but the God who gives but the God who gives Holy Spirit to you. And now as to the love of the brethren, and you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia, but we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. In orderly living. We're now at 411. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands, just as we commanded you, so that you will behave properly towards outsiders and not be in any need. And now we're to the teaching concerning the dead. 
15. We do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as to do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even God shall bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we may say to you, by the word of the Lord, that we are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord precedes those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we will be alive and remain caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so that we'll always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. It is indeed very comforting that everybody will be brought up into heaven. They have listened to God and done his will. Okay, so now we're going to read the footnotes down here. It says the will of God. His desire or purpose, sanctification or holiness, is viewed in three aspects in the New Testament. A position of being set apart for, to God, which every believer has the moment of his salvation. And then two, the progressive holiness of life that ought to be true of every believer. And then three, our condition in heaven in which we shall be without blame. Immorality. The Greek word means all kinds of illicit or unnatural sex indulgence. The Greek cities like Thessalonica were wide open to all kinds of sexual looseness, even in connection with religious rites. Okay, then four, uh, we're on uh, line four. This means whether the mastery of other, one's own body, keeping it pure, and refers to honorable marriage. And then transgress means in this context the references to sexual conduct and Brother refers to any other human being, believer or unbeliever, who is a partner in illicit sex. And then we're on eight, line eight now. Uh, treats like lightly these commands for sexual purity. So he was talking about people that reject it and just go on doing about the business. And then uh, at uh, verse four, uh, excuse me, verse uh, ten, practice brotherly love and more with your fellow Macedonian Christians. And then uh, 11 is make it your ambition. The Greek word is used only here. And the problems mentioned in this gave rise to these exhortations. And the outsiders were non-Christians. And the question is this. Does the death of a believer before the Lord comes cause him to lose all hope in sharing in the glorious reign of Christ? Paul's answer is reassuring affirmation that the dead will be raised and will share in the kingdom. And that's very important for Christians because that's what it's all about. And that's what we believe Easter is about. And then 413, the body, not the soul of the believer who dies, is said to sleep during the time between death and resurrection. So this note uh, says the body will be sleeping, but not the soul. So I know we have many questions about that, but that's what it says here. And then uh, 414 is better since we do believe the certainty of Christians Resurrection is based on the fact of Christ's resurrection. And now we're reading uh, 4, 16 through 7 through notes is uh, the voice of the archangel. Michael is the only archangel named in the Bible. And uh, dead in Christ will rise first when the Lord comes for his purpose. And then it says, then the living believers will be caught up from the Latin for caught up comes from the term rapture. The rapture or catching up of believers, described here, involves both those who have died and those who are living when the Lord comes. His coming 
here is in the air, not on the earth, and will occur just prior to the beginning of the tribulation. And that will go on to read when we get to Revelations. And that period will end up with his coming to the earth. The event we're here describes includes a return of Christ in the air, a resurrection of the dead of the Christ, rapture of the living believers, and a reunion with those who have died. And then as we go on, even though this is a short letter, it's so intense um, of the meaning and content in here. And for the last verses, the encouragement or comfort of the Christians, hope and resurrection is a sharp contrast to the hopelessness of the heathen face of earth. That's what I was thinking of, just how hopeless people must have been that uh, were non-Christians. And it's, uh, you know, they people that are non-Christian, they probably just believe what's before their eyes and uh, at times are hopeless. But as do we as Christians and believers believe there is hope and that there is life after death. So I'm going to read you just a couple things here. I wanted to read out of C.S. Lewis's The Business of Heaven. And I was reading um, just some of his words, and I, I do love C.S. Lewis. And uh, uh, he's uh, written many, many books. And I just wanted to read this, uh, The Business of Heaven. It says, Object of the Divine Love. He says, when Christianity says God loves man, it means that God loves man, not that God has some disinterested some disinterested, really indifferent concern for our welfare, but that an awful, surprising truth, we are the objects of God's love. You ask for a loving God, you have one. The great spirit you so lightly invoke, the Lord of terrible aspect, is present, not a senile benevolence that drowsily wishes you to be happy and on your own way, not the cold philanthropy of a conscientious magistrate, nor the care of a host who feels responsible for the comfort of his guests. But the consuming fire himself, the love that made the world, persistent as the artist's love for his work, and the despotic as a man's love for a dog, provident and venerable as a father's love for a child, jealous, inexorable, exact as love between the sexes. How this should be, I do not know. We were made not primarily that we may love God, though we were made for that too, but that God may love us, that we may become objects of a divine love may rest and well pleased. We ask that God love, God's love should be content with us, that we are to ask God should cease to be God because he is what he is. His love must, in nature of things, be impeded or repelled by certain stains of our present character. And because he lo- already loves us, he must labor to make us lovable. We cannot even wish in our bitter moments that he could re- reconcile himself to present impurities. Wow. Okay, let's talk about, uh, and then I had another one I wanted to read because I just it's just so powerful. So it's defending the faith. And we are to defend the Christianity itself, the faith preached by the apostles, attested to by the martyrs, and embodied in the creeds, expounded by the fathers. This must be clearly distinguished from the whole of what any one of us may think about God and man. Each of us has his individual Ephesus. Each holds, in addition to the faith, many opinions which seem to him to be consistent with it and true and important. And so perhaps they are. But as apologists, it is not our business to defend them. We are defending Christianity, not my religion. When we mention our personal opinions, we must always make quite clear the difference between them and the faith itself. This distinction, which is demanded by honesty, 
also gives the apologists a great tactical advantage. The great difficulty is to get modern audiences to realize that you are preaching Christianity solely and simply because you happen to think it's true. They always suppose that you are preaching it because you like it or that you think it's good for society or something of that sort. This immediately helps them to realize that what is being discussed is a question of objective fact, not gas about ideals and points of view. Do not attempt to water Christianity down. There must be no pretense that you will have it with the supernatural left out. So as far as I can see, Christianity is precisely the one religion from which the miraculous cannot be separated. You must frankly argue for supernaturalism from the very onset. Stance two is that uh, God is real, God is good, and you have to listen to him, and he's left us a book to follow, and that's why we devote ourselves to at least reading a little bit of it every Sunday. So um, I just wanted to read that one. And now... We have guideposts, of which I'll find a little story, and uh, I hope everybody just has a, a miraculous day, and that your, however you celebrate your Easter, just remember God, God gave Jesus His Son, who rose on the third day, and that's what it's all about. And then um, let me find the story. Okay, this says nothing can separate us. This is by Kelly Hall Clamp of Piedmont, Alabama. That March afternoon, the week before Palm Sunday, I picked up four-year-old Hannah at preschool and drove home through the Alabama countryside. She leaned against the car window, watching the sun blend to the horizon in a profusion of purple and pink in her favorite colors. Look, Mommy, she cried, bouncing up and down the seat. At times, it seems the world exuberant had been invented to describe Hannah. Her smallest things exhilarated her, pine cones, rainbows, leaves of two different colors, the way an owl's head turns all the way around. She never found a tree she didn't want to climb or a rock she didn't try to bring home. She was that kind of girl, an earth child, I called her. I smiled at Hannah and her purple-pink sky, but my mind was elsewhere. For the last four years, I had been pastor of the Goshen United Methodist Church, a small congregation in the farming and industrial community of Piedmont. We were planning on a musical drama for Palm Sunday, one of the biggest productions we had taken on. Even the children would be singing. All week I had been preoccupied with the details. Now, as he pulled into the driveway of our personage, I glanced at the door, church door, reminding myself to check the palm branches the choir would bring during the processional. Mommy, uh-huh, I said, figuring how many branches we would need. Will you, Daddy, and Sarah, and me all die at the same time? The question startled me. I turned and stared at her, wondering what had prompted it. Was it a tornado drill at a school or gone to the earlier that week? We may not die at the same time, I told her gently, but I believe we'll all be together again. She accepted this as a matter of fact. When you die, you get buried, she said, nodding. After that, you go live with God. That's right, honey, I said. As we climbed out of the car, the conversation hung in my thoughts like a cloud. But Hannah was already back to the splendors of being an earth child. I'm going to pick up pine cones, and I want to take a present to Rebecca and Katie, she said, referring to the girls next door. Hannah had loved to give away these treasures, the rocks in her pocket, the two leaves in two colors, and the rainbows she painted in her room. I walked with her next door, and she cradled the two large pine cones against her T-shirt. On the way back, I took her hand and squeezed it tight. Palm Sunday morning, I was going to church early for one last rehearsal. My husband, Dale, a Methodist campus 
minister in Jacksonville State University had left the day before to take students on a mission trip to Oklahoma. So I had both of our girls in tow. I left two-year-old Sarah with a babysitter at the church, and I told Hannah she could come with me to the rehearsal. Normally, she would have been part of the children's choir, but she wasn't sure she wanted to sing, and she didn't know all the words to the song, and besides, she wasn't feeling well. Inside the sanctuary, the man playing the role of Jesus was practicing his walk down the aisle, dragging a wooden cross. Instead of five instrumentation, there was they were using a tape accompaniment. And Carol, the choir director, was trying to get the children to come at the right time. Why must the little lamb die, they sang. Hannah, in pink dress and pink tights, climbed into the altar rail to watch, unable to take her eyes off Jesus in his dramatic walk. I want to sing, too, she told me when her soul ended. There weren't enough children's costumes, so we headed next door to the parsonage, where I found some blue and white striped material and cut out a robe for her. On the way back to church, I looked up at the sky. It hung heavy and gray like a sodden quilt. The, the air was warm and strange, I thought. Inside the, the church, a member was getting out candles in case of a thunderstorm. We can't lose electricity, I said, suddenly worried. We'll have no music. Now, Kelly, we'll do just fine, music or no music. His words reassured me, and I stood behind the pulpit to open the service. I hardly noticed the sky rumbling outside. I've never seen a crowd this big at Goshen. The church had filled to capacity, 140, I guess. As I took my place at the choir, I glanced over at Hannah to be sure she was in her seat. She sat quietly in the front pew with other children, her Easter shoes sticking out beneath the blue-white striped robe. I smiled at her, and she grinned back. Our musical drama began, down, lightning and thunder, and cracked and shuddered. The lights flickered, and I glanced up at them, feeling uneasy. The music halted, but we struggled on. God has provided praise in his name forever, we sang. When the next song began, two sisters performing a duet strained to lift their voices over the storm. But the wind and the rain were intensifying, and the time the song ended, I could hear what sounded like hail hitting the south wall of the church. People turned and looked. A pause of several seconds ensued, as if we sensed something was about to happen. I felt a change in air pressure, and a baby near the back cried out. Then suddenly, a stained glass window on the south side church scattered, shattered, and spewing purple and white glass across the sanctuary. Get down, someone screamed in the front church. It was a tornado. Pieces of the ceiling were starting to fall, and Hannah, I had to get Hannah. I was turning to run to her when a brick hit me on the side of my head, and I fell hard on my shoulder. As I lay there, it seemed as though the world was exploding, roaring and thunderous wind. The roof lifted off the building, then it crashed down the center aisle. The south wall toppled, and chunks of concrete and bricks were coming down everywhere. I threw my arms over my head. When it was over, I looked up and saw the sky, clear with a patch of blue. Everything was hushed and calm. No rain, no wind, no thunder, no voices. I pushed away bricks and managed to stand. The sanctuary appeared like the aftermath of a bomb blast. Wall-to-wall concrete rubble, piles of bricks and cinder block and shattered glass and mangled pews and the roof looming up from the floor. I saw arms and legs protruding from the debris and several people lying trapped still covered with white dust. Oh, God, please help us, I prayed. In my whole life, I've never prayed a prayer that was wrung from so deep a place. Our survivors struggled to their feet and calling out loved ones. Hannah and Sarah, who are my girls? I looked toward the back of the church and what Sarah had been. That part was still standing, which gave me a surge of hope. As I strained to lift the beams and blocks from the free of the trapped around me, I realized my shoulder was injured as worse than I thought. 
I could barely use my arm, but I still kept trying to clear a path towards Hanap's pew, no more than eight feet away. Someone in the back of the church held up Sarah, letting me know she was all right. Then another welcome sight, a rescue worker in a bright yellow jacket picking his way through the room. Down here, I shouted. There are children down here. Suddenly, I saw Amy, who was sitting beside Hannah. She leaned against the pew, her legs pinned and no sign of life. As a rescue worker freed her, I looked down and saw a piece of white striped material protruding from the pile of bricks beneath the pew. Hannah. As another rescue worker rushed outside with Amy, the man in the yellow stripe moved me towards the bricks, and he pulled Hannah out and laid her near the altar and began CPR. I touched her face and patted her arm, wishing she weren't so cold. My Hannah, I said, Mommy's here. Mommy's right here. I thought she might be dead, but I couldn't absorb it. My Hannah, I was saying. The man picked her up and rushed her outside, stepping over what was left of the south wall. I struggled to keep up. Outside, the ambulance lights were turning in the grayness. Rescue workers scrambled in and out of the rubble, carrying equipment and bringing out victims. There was so much confusion, so much need. Sitting on the grass before me, a nine-year-old boy bent over his mother. Don't die, Mommy, he pleaded. All I could think of is how I wanted to keep her alive, to keep this mother and child together. I felt her pulse and began chest compressions. Moments later, when the rescuers took workers took over, I stood up and looked around, but the man carrying Hannah was gone. I spotted Carol, the choir director, who was also a nurse, helping the injured. I've lost Hannah, I told her. Did you see where they took her? She was put in an ambulance, I think, to Gadsden Hospital. The hospital, then she might be alive, I could still hope. I found my daughter sitting unhurt in the lap of a friend. I'll take care of Sarah, she said. Then I, she took off her shoes and handed them to me. Somehow I had lost mine. I slipped the shoes on and slowly turned to face the church. It's one of the grimmest moments of my life. I saw a place filled with dead and injured. An hour less before it had been pushed, pushed with thongs of passion and children gratefully waving palm branches. Now the building was a shell, completely devastated. In that moment, I could not foresee our congregation going on. I imagined those who survived losing faith and losing the ability to worship again. There will be no more gods in church, I thought. It's gone. I looked down at my soiled white vestment and reminded suddenly that I was the minister. This was my church and these were my people. A feeling of calmness came over me in a sense that God's presence was there with me. I walked back toward the church. For a couple hours, I prayed with people, handed out supplies, tried to bring comfort. My husband is dead, someone said. I sat a while and held her hand. Everywhere I turned, I heard heart-wrenching words. I can't find my little boy or my wife is trapped under the roof. As the last of the people were brought out, a rescue worker noticed my bruised head and shoulder, injured shoulder. He put a sling around my arm and directed me to the triage area that had been roped off on the front lawn. Soon after, I was driven to the hospital. After x-rays were taken on my shoulder, I lay on a stretcher in the overflow room. I asked every person I saw about Hannah, but no one knew anything. I finally saw a nurse walking towards me as she motioned to the minister, who was a friend of mine. My heart started to race. The two of them wheeled me to a secluded corridor and stood beside me for a long, silent moment. My hands began to tremble. Dr. Hilden, he said, Kelly, I think you already know this, but Hannah died. When my husband returned that evening, we fell into each other's arms. Twenty people from the church died that morning, and 86 were injured, many severely. 
as we moved through the days before Easter and as the funerals were held. I kept wondering if the church would go on. I wondered if I could go on. Stone with grief and pain, I could not envision a future. Then the phone rang to, began to ring. Church members wanted to know if we would be holding Easter service. These are the same persons who had lost loved ones, people who had been injured. I knew they were thinking about what happened to Jesus on the cross and what happened to our church, and they were longing for Easter. Yes, I thought, we'll have sunrise service right in the lawn beside the church, and we'll all be out there at dawn waiting for Easter. On Thursday, I I wrote a piece of scripture repeating in my head, and I knew God meant for me to read it to the people on Easter morning. I found my Bible and sat down at the kitchen table and read the passage. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No, in all these things, we are more conquerors through him who loved us. And for I am sure that neither death nor life nor things present nor things cut to come, nor anything else in all creation will separate us from the love of God. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. My heart was broken and my hope shattered. Touched me, something deep inside me. I felt strength in my face. An Easter morning, I waited for the church with 200 others in the cool pre-dawn darkness. In the center of the ruins where the altar had been, someone had erected a large wooden cross. Then exactly at 7 o'clock when I stood to begin the service, the sun spilled over the horizon in purple-pink colors Hannah would have loved. With my face swollen and my shoulder in a brace, I stepped up to the makeshift podium. I can't think of any other place I'd rather be, I said. Can you? And then I opened my Bible and I read, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? When I looked up, I saw people nodding and tears in their eyes, and their faces told me that we would go on. In July, four months after the Palm Sunday, Dale and I celebrated Hannah's birthday. She would have been five years old. We stood at the backyard of the stump of a tree that had been destroyed by a tornado. We held seven helium-filled balloons, each a different color of the rainbow, and we let them go one by one. We celebrated something about Hannah's life. We remembered her exuberance, her delight in the small things, the way she gathered all the living she could. We remembered the love that compelled her to give away her treasures. We recalled her words about death in a car a few days before she died. They're her simple faith that God is good and life follows death. As the balloon sailed away, I felt Hannah teaching me things I needed to go on to look to, in order to go on. It was as if God was reminding me that Hannah's life was lived deep, too much love and have faith. Almost a year after the tornado, our congregation gathered in the field and broke ground for a new church, which would be built in the shape of a butterfly, a symbol of rebirth. As I watched children pushing shovels into the ground, I thought about the difficult months of trying to live day by day live deep in the love and have faith. People often ask Dale and me how we can go on after a faith like this. Well, we didn't need faith for things to understand, Dale told them, but for things you don't, that's the truth. That is why I needed Hannah's childlike faith. I didn't understand why death and tragedy came. I only knew that they were part of life and part of the natural world. Storms can't be avoided. Even Jesus wasn't spared. But without a doubt, God is with us in our suffering. And for the end, nothing will separate us from God's love, not tornadoes, not anything. My thoughts were interrupted as people came forward carrying cups of dirt from the old church site and emptied them into the soil as shovels had dug, blending old and new. I looked at Sarah, at the circles left by her knees from kneeling in the dirt. I looked at my husband, at good, sturdy faces all around, 
at the sun glistening in the field that will one day be our church home. I felt my heart grow with Thanksgiving, and in spite of everything, Easter had come to Piedmont, Alabama. Well, what a powerful story, and I want to thank all of you that have listened this morning. I wish you a wonderful and awesome Easter. What a better day to celebrate that someday, too, we will be going to heaven to be with Jesus, and nothing can separate us from God, nothing. And we just have to keep our faith and keep moving on no matter what happens. And then let's say our traditional prayer before we close. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. And in closing, may God bless and keep you in his loving arms so that you may have the strength to face whatever it is is ahead. Remember, you're never alone. God loves you. May your best dream come true. And true love live in your heart. And I want to say bye for now, and I'll see you next week, and uh, we'll have another service. Love you. God bless you. Happy Easter, everybody. Bye. Amen.